0: So I was reading a devotional from Max Licato. I love Max Licato. He's a really good uh, writer as uh, a pastor. I believe he's retired now, but he's probably still writing and still speaking. And anyway, he was, uh, uh, he was at an airport, and, and the, the devotional was about uh, eternal security and uh, eternal life. And, and it was just a short little uh, uh, kind of illustration that he was sharing. And, and uh, it was, he, he was returning from a speaking engagement. He was at an airport. And uh, he was hoping to get a, a flight home, right? And uh, he hears, he hears the, the dreaded announcement. And, and the announcement was, Mr. Lakato, you are now, your name has been placed on standby. You know, and, and, he, and he says, and you can hear the groans in the airport, you know. Oh, the, the, the dreaded, the dreaded uh, standby list. Which, which implies the possibility that you might get home, but there's no guarantee that you're going to get that flight home. And this is, what, this is what he wrote. He says, oh, to be numbered among the confirmed, to have my own seat and in my own departure time. How could you relax if you aren't assured passage on the final flight home? And his, and his use of that experience was to draw the analogy that there are lots of people who 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 hope that they're saved who think that they're saved but who struggle with doubts and fears who who struggle with am I really forgiven have, have I really do, do, do I really have a place in eternity you know uh, am I really saved and 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 those those doubts that uh, assail uh, the hearts of of men you know especially those who are young babes in Christ or, or who are newborn uh, they 're especially vulnerable to to thoughts about doubt such as such as that, and so the direction that we 're going in this morning is to is to tackle this it 's so important for us to understand the anatomy of doubt so that we can you know get as the deeper we get into this message, the more we 'll be able to i believe get a handle on an understanding of what doubt is and, and and how it can have a profound effect upon our lives but But you might be here this morning and it, you know, it, it won't surprise you that that you you may not be a believer, you may not be a follower of Christ, and maybe one of the reasons why you're not a follower of Christ is because you have a lot of doubts. But, but, but it should not surprise you that even believers who are walking with the Lord are sometimes assailed by a whole bunch of different doubts. I mean, there's a whole variety of doubts, a whole various... Uh, array of doubts that can come to mind. For instance, I mean, we, we, you might be here this morning, and you might be doubtful about your future. You know, uh, you might be doubtful. Am I ever going to find you know the, the right person uh, to to be with for the rest of my life? Am I, am I ever going to be able to you know support a family? Am I ever going to be able to pay my bills? If my, can, can I pay off my tuition? You know, all of these questions and all of these doubts that that that, that can arise. And, and come into our minds can, can not only rob us of our sleep, but, but they could also uh, rob us from our potential. And so, and so doubts are not only uh, troublesome, they're downright terrorizing at times if we allow them. And I really believe that the Lord wants us to have victory over our doubts, and it's important for us to understand how this works. Somebody said this, without the freedom to doubt, there would be conversely no freedom to believe. Without the freedom to doubt, there would be conversely no freedom to believe. And so so doubt even has a purpose in the overall plan of God. It could become a stumbling block in a person's life, or it can become a stepping stone, a catalyst by which we grow deeper and we grow more in faith. But let me tell you a couple of things that I've learned about doubt. Number one, I've learned that doubt never works alone. Doubt never works alone. It always teams up with something else. I don't know about you, but uh, I, when I was a kid, you know, and I'm talking about a long time ago, black and white TV, you know, uh, I loved watching wrestling on TV, you know. I mean, I haven't seen wrestling in years, so, you know, uh, but, but, but years and years ago. How, how many of you older folks like me remember a couple of names like Bruno San Martino? Anybody Bruno San Martino? Yeah, come on, guys. Raise your hands up high. Be proud of the fact that we're old, Right. <laughs> Bruno San this guy had a chest the size of a refrigerator. He had arms like tree trunks, you know, he was a world heavyweight champion. And how about this name? Haystacks Calhoun. Can, can, you, can you put up that, that, that first picture of Haystacks Calhoun? <laughs> 600 pounds. Haystacks Calhoun, you did not want to get into the ring with him, you lost your head. That guy, was, he was originally fighting a man with two heads, the other head he, he pulled off, right? <laughs> But 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 really, I mean, th- this guy. Although he was like 600 pounds, he was really quick, you know. But but really, th- the best part about watching wrestling was not the individual matches. It was it was the tag team matches. Like, Do You put up that that next the, th- the tag team matches. Now, now, this is how it would always work, right? You see the two guys that are like one guy is on top of the ropes. He's ready to jump in, and and the other guy there has got his hand extended. Well, the way the way that it worked is that. Two wrestlers fought at one time in the center of the ring, right? And and the guys would always try to pull them over to the to the side of their partner so that their partner can stop, you know, illegally pounding on them, right? But one of the things that would happen is the guys would be so anxious to get into the into the fray. Now, if if your partner tagged you, you can go in freely. But but if you didn't make the tag, the referee was obligated to make sure that you went back to where your position is behind the ropes. So what would often happen, right, in every single tag team match is that, is that the guy would try to illegally enter in, right? And the referee then would begin to, to be distracted and be occupied by trying to get you back over uh, on the other side of the ropes. And that's when, that's when the other guy would jump into the, into the ring while, while the referee is distracted and the two guys would pounce on you. And that's exactly what happens when fear and doubts team up against us because we never fight doubts alone. It's always the dynamic duo of of fear and doubt that come against us. What I want you to see this morning is this statement. Your willingness to believe must become greater than your doubt and fear. Your willingness to believe. I really believe it comes down to the setting of our will. That that is that we need to have a made-up mind before we ever reach the main event, before we ever get in the ring, that we need to have a made-up mind that I will not doubt and I will not be afraid. In fact, so many of the Psalms tell us exactly that. David said, for instance, when I am afraid, I will trust. I will not be afraid. I will not fear. And that sentiment of I will not doubt and I will not fear repeatedly is the setting of our will. It's to have a made-up mind way before we ever enter into the main event. And I really do believe that it's a matter of choice. For instance, in Psalm 56 verse 4, it says this, In God I have put my trust, I will not fear. I will not fear. Just it, It's just... I, Though an army set themselves against me round about, I will not be afraid. And so we need to have this mindset, this made up mind way before we ever enter into an engagement of wrestling against doubts and fear. So how does this willingness to believe become stronger and greater? in me so that it's greater than my doubts and greater than my fear. I believe that the answer for us this morning is found in one of the titles or two of the titles that are in the name of Jesus, the name above every name. And I, I want us to look at the, the title of Jesus this morning that I believe is the answer to our doubts and fears, okay? Now, now let me just say this. There was a song uh, back in the day. Uh, this gentleman came in and he said, I, I recognize you. You've been here a long time, 35 years, right? So like thir- over 30 years ago, right, probably you went into any church on Long Island and you heard them singing this song. It went like this. Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him there's no other. Jesus is the way. like that? All right, Andrew, just in case, you know, you need a fill in, just let me know. Right? right. No, no, no. That song was, was so simple, you know. In fact, the verses were even a little bit cheesy, but it was, it was such a, a truth that was embraced by the, the church, not only on Long Island, but around the world. That, that song was made popular. Listen to the verse one. It says, it says, if you have some questions in the corner of your mind, traces of discouragement, the peace you cannot find, reflections of your past seem to face you every day, but this one thing I do know, that Jesus is the way. And what I hope that is the outcome of this series that we've been in for 22 weeks name above every name is that is that we will discover that Jesus is not Jesus is not Jesus is not the answer to some of our problems that Jesus is not the answer to some of our needs or or even most of them but that Jesus absolutely and unequivocally is the answer to every single one of our needs that our God shall supply all our need by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And that and that one of his names and there are over 300 will meet the the need of our life and the need of our heart. And so and so that is so important for us to know that Jesus is the answer. And it begins I believe that it begins with this willingness to believe and a refusal a refusal for us to be overrun by by doubt and by fear, and then this—this this is the important part—is to choose to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our hearts and our minds, the eyes of our understanding. They are to be set upon Jesus Christ. In the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at a verse of scripture in just a moment from the book of Hebrews. Now, now, now—the the writer of Hebrews, I believe it's Paul, but anyway, that's another story. But the writer of Hebrews is—is—is. Is, is, telling us about the accomplishments of faith, all that faith can accomplish by ordinary people just like us, but through God because of the the, the instrumentality of faith and what you can accomplish. I mean, just incredible things out of weakness were made strong, Uh, became mighty in battle, set armies to flight, right? Uh, Women received their dead again, raised to life, Uh, Women who were barren received strength, and they, and they conceived and brought forth children. And, and, and on and on. Hebrews 11 talks about the accomplishments of faith. But, but then it comes to that word. See, now, let me just remind you this, that, that men put chapters and verses in the Bible to help us locate different scriptures. But it wasn't written that way. So the, the, the crescendo is to come to this word, therefore, that it starts out in, in chapter 12, verse 1. And and you remember whenever you come across the word therefore, find out what's it there for. Okay, that's an easy way to remember. And and the reason why that word is so significant is because everything that has come before, all of these heroes of faith that are examples for us of what faith can accomplish, right, is is now. The drawing of a line, and I've said this like this, just think of columns of numbers, right? And when you draw that line, that's the therefore. It is the sum total of everything that has come before it. And the sum total of everything that has come before it in Hebrews chapter 11 is is this idea now that is found in verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, to the life of faith. Now, now the, the idea, I know some have, have gotten the idea that you're in an arena and you're in a race and all of these people are watching us. No, no, that, that, that's not the way that the apostle means this. He means this, that those that have gone before us, they're not watching us, but those that have gone before us are testifying to us of the greatness of God. They're testifying to us That God's promises are true. They're testifying to us that we're to believe God, even when it seems like it's improbable or impossible, that with God, nothing shall be impossible. In fact, without faith, it's impossible to be pleasing to God. And so they are witnesses in in this demonstration of just how important faith is. And so he says, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance. Now, the race that we're involved in, this life journey of faith is not a a race about speed. It's a race about endurance. Blessed are those that endure to the end. It is a matter of making it through the finish line. Doesn't matter how we start. Doesn't matter, you know, how many times we've stumbled in the midst of it. What matters more than anything else is have we crossed the finish line? And so he says, he says, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. And, and I, I love this translation for this next verse because it gives us the answer to, to not only what he's talking about here as the solution, really, but, but it's, it's even the answer to our message this morning. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. And this translation says calls him the champion and the one who initiates and perfects our faith. Now you may be familiar with the author and the perfecter or the author and the finisher of our faith. I love I love these two terms because they are so rich in meaning. Uh, at times it's translated, these words are translated the captain or the prince or the the architect of our faith, the the one who is the very source and the supplier of our faith. And so so the, the goal for us is the spiritual exercise of fixing our eyes, keeping our eyes, the eyes of our understanding and the eyes of our heart, the eyes of faith firmly fixed on Jesus consistently and constantly being set upon Jesus Christ. I mean, after all, think about it. It is the look of faith that initially saved us in the first place. There is a look that brings healing. There is a look that brings salvation. Do you know the verse of scripture that was instrumental in bringing Charles Spurgeon into the kingdom of God? It was, look unto me all the ends of the earth and be saved. That simple verse. God said, it's that simple. Look to me and you will be saved. And there is a look that produces in us a faith that initially saved us when, we, when we, our eyes were opened to the reality of the cross and the blood of Jesus and all that he accomplished by his substitution. I love this word. He is the pioneer, the one who has gone before us and forged way, not, not merely as an example, but one who supplies for us the kind of faith that we need to overcome doubt, and fear, and in fact, to overcome everything in this life, fixing our eyes on Jesus is just another way of saying, to search the scriptures, to meditate, to muse, to consider Jesus, to think about Jesus, to study Jesus. Let Jesus become the obsession, the passion of your life. As you search through the scriptures, and you discover all that He has done, His attributes, His character. His, his words, his teaching, all of that become passionate about discovering the person of Jesus. That is the way in which we meditate. And you know what the scripture says? Blessed is the man, the woman who meditates in the word of God day and night. They'll be like a tree planted by the waters. They, they, they won't lose their leaf. They'll bring forth fruit even in old age. This spiritual principle that I'm talking about here, fixing our eyes on Jesus, it's not mystical, you know, it's not weird out there. It's it it has its roots even in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 26, verse 3. If you want to have a perfect peace, Isaiah the prophet said, Listen, this is what you need to do. It's the same spiritual exercise. This is what Isaiah said. You will, you, God, you will keep. In perfect peace, all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are what fixed on you, in other words, the mind, the heart that is that is concentrating, that is meditating, that is that is fixed steadfast upon the Lord, will experience a peace that will subdue every doubt and every fear that comes against you now let, let me let me illustrate this. With a gospel story this morning. This this is a well-known uh, uh, story that, that that comes out of the book of Matthew. Uh, it's right after the feeding of the five thousand. I tell you, if it was ever a time when the disciples should have been pumped and their faith should have been strong, it was it was it was after seeing so many people fed with you know the few loaves and fishes, and then and then gathering up twelve baskets of leftovers. You know, I can imagine they smuggled some of those leftovers with them and then were taking them, as Jesus told them, he instructed them, get in the boat, all right, these guys, I want you to go over to the other side, use the oars, you know, go over to the other side, right? I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. I'm going to be alone for a while and I'm going to pray. Now, I'll tell you something, we're just stop right here for a minute. If Jesus had to ha- spend time alone in prayer, where does that leave you and me? We, we, we need to discover that that's the place of power when we get alone with God and when we pray. All right, so, 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 so they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee was known at times that just all of a sudden just winds would come around, the, the, the mountains that were shaped kind of like a funnel. And when the winds came in and ripped it up, the wind and the waves, so they're stuck, right? It's now three o'clock in the morning. They're stuck out on the Lake of Galilee, right? They're not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water, right? And they are absolutely terrified. They're not terrified by the wind and the waves at this point. They're terrified by, by seeing Jesus walking on water. You're not supposed to walk on water. I don't know if you know that, you know? But I guess Jesus, he didn't get the memo, but he's walking on water. and, and as And as he's coming, they're frightened. They think it's a ghost. And Jesus calms them down and says, guys, chill out. It's me. You know, don't be afraid. And, and now this is where we pick up the story. So Matthew 14, verse 28. Then Peter called to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. I, I just got to stop here for a minute. Peter, what are you thinking about? I mean, really, if it's really you, I mean, you know, it tells me that he was doubtful if it's you. So if it's not, if it's not Jesus and he says, come anyway, what are you going to do, you know? So, so Jesus says, come, because what else could he do but say, come? So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on water toward Jesus. Amazing. Peter walked on water. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, He was terrified, and he began to sink. In that moment, fear gripped him, and doubt pinned him to the mat. Save me, Lord, he cried out, or he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And and I don't know what could be worse, right? Sinking in the lake. I mean, after all, I think Peter could swim, you know? It's not like he was going to die, right? Uh, But he probably thought he was going to die, right? or 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 maybe what would be worse is for or for to have Jesus say to you you have so little faith and then ask the question why did you doubt now now why did you doubt think about that why did you doubt it's not that Jesus didn't know the answer why did you doubt the implication is that this was a matter of choice. Had you chose to continue to believe, you would have still been walking on water. But for some reason, we know fear, you chose to doubt. And because you chose to doubt, you began to sink. Verse 32 says, And when they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. Lesson is over. And the disciples worshipped him. Now, Let's be a little kind toward Peter. I don't think I could do any better than, than, than Peter did. Let's give Peter the props because nobody else got out of the boat. Nobody else volunteered to attempt to even walk on water. So, so let's give him props because he was walking on water. It's not that Peter didn't have faith. It's just that his faith wasn't perfect. It's that his faith was flawed. Flawed is that his faith was small. Jesus didn't say, you're filled with unbelief. He said, no, your faith is small. And so Peter began to sink. Hey, you remember the Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner cartoons? You know, uh, I'm not that old. I remember them. You remember Wile E. Coyote, right? He, he would chase the Roadrunner. Beep, beep, right? Remember that, beep, beep? He would, cha- he would chase the roadrunner right off of a cliff and he would keep on running until until it dawned on him i'm not supposed to be doing this and then he would look down and as soon as he looked down what would happen he would fall to the ground and so did peter when peter realized i'm not supposed to be doing this and he looked and he felt he felt the wind and the and the and the the breeze, and he, and he felt all of that, and, and he looked with his eyes and he felt with his sensory perception. At that point, Peter stopped walking by faith and he walked by sight. He walked by his sensory perception and he began to sink. And Jesus asked the question, Why did you doubt? Again, implication it was your choice. You chose to doubt, aided by the fear of sinking and therefore you sunk now i tell you what there's a lot of lessons for us to learn in peter's failure you know probably one of the first things that we need to learn about peter is is that this guy who is always quick to speak he's always quick to do he's the he's the first one right peter slow down you know think before you speak if my wife has told me that once in my lifetime since we've been married, she's told me a hundred times, honey, think before you speak. I you know, it's my my foot's full size fourteen, it often goes right into my mouth. You know, so so I mean for many of us, listen, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said it like this. He said, Be quick to hear and be slow to speak. Now I guess Peter didn't get the memo or the tweet, you know, about that, but 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 let's, let, let, let's understand what's going on here with Peter. This is not unbelief. There's a great deal of difference between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is something that we are constantly going to wrestle with and struggle against no matter how mature we are in faith. Even the Apostle Paul, right, as mature as he was, wrestled with things like doubt and with fear. But fear has an ability to weaken our faith and therefore strengthen doubts. But Jesus, Jesus never failed to make a distinction between doubt and unbelief. He always made that distinction. Now, let me just—if you're taking notes, write this down. Doubt is a struggle to believe, while unbelief is that I will not believe. That is a sincere conflict. It's a—it's a. It's a conflict within oneself. Unbelief is a stubbornness that says, I will not doubt. I refuse to believe. Rather, I, I refuse to believe. I will not believe. I refuse to, to believe. Doubt is looking for light, but unbelief is satisfied and at home in the darkness. When doubts arise, if you're a believer and you have doubts arising in your heart, I want to tell you, it cannot affect your salvation. Doubts do not affect the salvation, the security that we have in Christ. Let, let me give you an illustration. If you go down to Manhattan, I don't know uh, how many stories the, the new uh, World Trade Center is. Maybe 100, maybe maybe close to that, 96, uh, maybe hundred 100 stories, right? If you take the express elevator, I mean, it's going to take you a while to go 100 stories, right? But once once you're in the elevator and once you press that button, you are committed, irrevocably committed to making a trip. Now, now, once you're in there and 30 seconds into the into the flight, right, you might be filled with doubts and, and fears. You know, what, what if the cable breaks, you know? What what if this thing doesn't stop? What what if what if this happens and you begin to remember all of these horror stories that you've heard about elevators, you know? Maybe what if it gets stuck, you know? Listen. The fact of the matter is that you get filled with these doubts while you're in journey will have no effect on whether or not you will reach your final destination. You'll make it to the observation deck. And the same thing is true. In the same way, when you come to Christ, you make a, it, it is much more than a mental ascent. It is a, it is a, willful choice to place oneself in eternal destiny in the hands of a great Savior. And once that choice is made, Jesus is going to safely bring you to your final destination. I believe this story, you know what this story tells me? This story tells me more about Jesus than it does about Peter. It tells me that Jesus is a great Savior. It tells me that in spite of Peter's failures, Jesus still loves Peter. Jesus still supports Peter. Jesus still upholds Peter. And Jesus comes to the rescue all the time. He didn't just let him drown, he didn't just let him go, let him get washed over, you know? No, Jesus comes to the rescue because of his love and faithfulness. Did you know that he he is more faithful to us than we could ever possibly be to him? That he is more committed to you and I than I could ever possibly be committed to him. Here's a, here's a, a quote. Doubting does not prove that a man has no faith, but only that his faith is small. And even when our faith is small, the Lord is ready to help us. The Lord is ready to help us. And that is, was never more true about the person that we're talking about now this morning, this guy, Peter. Because the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he told them plainly, he said, tonight one of you will betray me. Tonight all of you will forsake me. And Peter, Peter, Peter objects, right? Big mouth Peter, right? He says, though, Lord, everybody else will abandon you and forsake you, yet not I I am ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you, right? That's what Peter said. And, and, and Jesus said, Simon, Simon, you haven't changed that much. Maybe that's why he called him Simon. Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. Now, I don't understand it all. Of the process of sifting but it's not good you know it's like it's like Satan wants to destroy you but and here's one of the great butts of the Bible but I've prayed for you that you wouldn't go through this trial no that you wouldn't be tested no that your faith would not fail the author the champion the camp the, the pioneer, the architect of her faith said, I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. And though Peter failed miserably, and he denied the Lord before the rooster crowed, right? You know the whole story. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And Peter failed miserably. But what did not fail was Peter's faith, because Jesus was praying for him they say to me, Pastor, that's all I need. Just, just if you can guarantee me that Jesus is praying for me, I know everything will be all right. Well, if you're a believer this morning, I got news for you. Jesus, the Bible says, ever lives to make intercession for the church. He's praying for us. He prayed for us in John chapter 17. when he prayed that, that through their witness, we might believe. And not only that, But he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because there are times that we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us according to the will of God, and that the Spirit Himself is praying for us. Let me tell you something. We cannot fail because of the greatness of the one who loves us, not because of our greatness. Peter failed miserably, but Peter's faith did not fail. My hope is built on nothing less. The song says, Then Jesus' blood and righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. And you know what? If, if, you, if you would look at Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, you know, and a couple of other chapters in the book of Acts, you'll see what an amazing comeback Peter is. He really is the comeback kid who came back from such great failure to become become the apostle that that saw 3,000 in one day come to Christ, then 5,000 in another come to Jesus Christ. And God used him to raise Dorcas, somebody who had died from the dead. That's great faith. I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, Saving Private Ryan. But uh, it was one of the Spielberg movies a number of years ago. And it tells the story of an army captain by the name of John Miller, played by Tom Hanks. And the the story takes place on on D-Day, right? When there's the invasion of all of the allied forces at at Normandy. And uh, they've stormed the beach. And and there's, you know, like thousands and thousands of of, of army and and navy and, and all of that are converging on france to liberate the the people of france and to and to defeat the germans right and uh uh, his mission now after the initial skirmish is to go into enemy territory and to find a guy by the name of james ryan private james ryan because his three brothers have died in action his mother had only four sons and he's the last remaining son and it was to and it was to prevent this mother from absolutely grieving with the loss of four so so their mission was to save private Ryan so so they get into there's about maybe five or six of them that are on this mission and and captain captain Miller is is leading the way into enemy territory and there's skirmish after skirmish and some of them die you know in the process before they find they, but they ultimately find them among all the thousands, right? They finally find Private Ryan. And he won't immediately leave with them because his buddies are engaged in a battle and there's a, a, an important battle that's gonna take place. Tanks are gonna come across that bridge and there's no way that he's gonna leave his buddies in the midst while they need him. So they all stay and they all fight it out. And they win the battle, but, but, but here, here is Captain Miller. He is, he is fatally wounded. And in the the touching scene in the movie, he grabs, and, and Ryan, I think, is one of the only ones that survives. And he grabs a hold of Ryan, right? And he says to him, Captain Miller says, earn this, earn this. And now, and now here's the scene, right? He's, he's an old man now, and he's standing in this v- veteran's military, and he's looking at the grave of the, the tomb, rather, the tombstone of, the, of, of Captain Miller, the guy who sacrificed his life. And he's wondering out loud, he says it out loud, have I lived a life that is worthy of his sacrifice? Now, first of all, let me just say this. That's a fatal flaw in that movie, because I've heard rangers say, there's no way in heaven or hell that a ranger would say, earn this because it was your duty. It was, it was your duty to lay down your life for your, for your, for your brothers in arms. And, and no ranger would say that, but, but I want you to know this. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ gave his life that we might be saved. And the difference between Christ is that he did not put the burden on us to earn anything. In fact, salvation is the free gift of God. Jesus, Jesus didn't put that burden on us to earn anything because we could never earn that. And so standing at the end of my life, standing at the end of your life, I know I would never ask the question, did my, was my life worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus? No, that's the point. We could never live a life that is worthy of his sacrifice. And he would never ask us to do that. So I want to leave you with two bottom lines this morning. Number one, the burden is not on you to be a great believer. The burden is on Christ, who is a great Savior. The burden is not on you to be a great believer, but the burden is on Jesus, who is a great Savior. You see, we don't compromise with doubt and fear and things that, that we know that the word tells us that we're to overcome, that we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We, we don't compromise with any of these things that trouble us. We overcome them. And how do we overcome them? By the grace and by the faith that comes through Christ who strengthens us so that we can overcome doubt and fear. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. As the author and the architect and the pioneer and the captain and the prince and the perfecter of our faith, he has grace for us and faith that comes by hearing and hearing that comes through the word of God so that we can face anything in this life. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, things present nor things to come, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. The question is, do you believe that this morning? Set your will to believe that this morning. If you have a made-up mind, and then you, you, you put into practice what I've said this morning by fixing your eyes on Jesus, the eyes of your understanding, you'll have a perfect peace that will overcome doubt and fear. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning, oh God, Lord, and I pray that you'd search the house today, Lord God. I don't know if there's some here this morning who's, who never have made a transaction of, of experiencing salvation of praying the prayer of faith, but I, I, I do pray that if there's one or two or several here this morning that they will simply say something like this right now where they are. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Savior and Lord of my life. I believe that you died for my sins as a substitute and that you were raised again from the dead for me and my justification. I accept you and believe you. I choose to believe this morning. Now, Father, I I pray for all of us here today because all of us are assailed from time to time. All of us have to wrestle and, and, and find ourselves in the main event, Lord God, dealing with doubts and fears, oh God. And I pray this morning that we will remember and put into practice the things that have been said, the things that the Spirit of God has brought us through this morning, and that most of all, we'll remember Just how awesome, not this message was, but how awesome our Savior is. That we'll remember that Jesus, you are indeed so magnificent that our eyes have to be consistently, constantly fixed upon you. That's our passion and our heart's desire in this church. Amen.